0: Centuries ago the prophet Jeremiah looked at the condition of the people of God and of the world around him And his heart was grieved and broken. He wanted to give up. He wanted to quit He just wanted to, just to say to himself. There's no hope but there was something inside of him He called it a fire shut up in his bones and that fire caused him to stand up and preach the gospel, to preach it with truth. And we are calling on pastors today to be united for spiritual awakening and revival and a move of God across our land today. That's why World Challenge, myself and others are doing these pastors' conferences, two national pastors' conferences next year to call pastors to put that fire back in their soul, that fresh wind, that fresh fire, that fresh passion. We'll be in San Diego in February and in New York City at Times Square Church. My dear friends, Pastor Carter Conlon, and Pastor Tim Delina, Claude Oude, Ron Brown, R.T. Kendall, John Bailey, and many others will be teaching, preaching with great worship leaders. So join us in February or in August. San Diego, New York.
1: He sanctified forever with his own blood those who draw near to God through him. He's the better sacrifice. So better priest, better sacrifice he you know the, the book begins with he's the definitive revelation of God. He's the better revelation. He outdid himself. He gave the quintessential perfect can't get any better revelation of himself, namely the exact image of the invisible God. He gave you his son. So the, the better, better better you, you, you almost can't get away from it.
0: Back with another episode of the Gary Wilson Podcast, continuing the series on "Fire in Our Bones." If you were with us last episode, Pastor Jordan Thomas just brought it to us, man. He, he brought the the gospel, he brought the fire of and passion of Jesus, but uh, not just intellectually or emotionally, but the real spirit passion that that is only born of the Spirit of God coming alive through the Word of God. So we're in part two of that uh, talk we had with Pastor and. Uh, uh, if you liked last episode, you're going to enjoy this one even more, be moved even more. At the end of this podcast, I want you to listen to the whole thing because he gives some real practical advice as to what the book of Hebrews does in our life to move us into a, a real Christ-like lifestyle, uh, not just emotionally believing in the great things of Christ, but but moved into the things that really transform our, our whole life as well. So watch the whole episode. Enjoy. God's blessing on you. Grace and peace to you. Thanks again. Let's go over to the, to the better uh, thens There's there's a lot of them here, right? Um, and in, in so I, I can understand, you know, Christ is the, the new covenant and stuff. Better, the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Some somewhere I, and I'm not saying I don't understand it, but like when he's talking about Moses or angels, you know, there's not a lot of people today that that have any knowledge of Christ. Even a nominal churchgoer would. Probably hear it and say like, yeah, everybody knows Jesus is better than Moses, or he's better than angels. Um, but yet, when you read that, it it does strike the heart. You go like, yeah, Jesus is better than. But but do you know what I'm getting at here? Like, uh, what is the importance of the writer using all these different illustrations, if that's the right word, to to describe Christ better than?
1: Yeah. I mean, depending on how you do the math, you know, there's somewhere between five and nine of the the better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And, And two of them that you mentioned, the angels and Moses. Well, you know, you're right. Today, a lot of people are not, you know, considering Christianity or angel olatry, Christianity or Moses idolatry. You know, that's not really what they're trying to wrestle through their day. I think that's actually a symptom of our biblical illiteracy okay. in our culture. You know, we boast about how you know biblically literate the the West is and how much access we have to Scripture. But the reason these people were so smitten with angels is, you know, let's just remind ourselves: one angel killed was it one hundred eighty six thousand people in one night? They're pretty powerful, mm. and the reverence for the spiritual hosts was high in the first century because they were a much more biblically literate culture. And I I think chapter two means that most New Testament generation people, especially Jews, would have embraced some idea that the old covenant was mediated through angels if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. Hmm. You know, so that kind right. of thing. So did Moses receive through some kind of angelic intermediary? I don't know, but I, I would say that angelic fascination and that mosaic fascination in the first century. So that the author says, Jesus, hey, believer, listen, he's better than them. He's superior to them. In fact, he's superior to the cumulative hosts of all the angels, more powerful, mm-hmm. more dignified, more majestic. And all of them combined. And then Moses, you know, he holds a special place, we need to remember, in redemptive history, not because he was awesome. You know, go read his biography. He he wasn't awesome. There's only one hero, but he was the person that God enabled both to write the law, to lead God's people out of Egypt, uh, to oversee the, the tabernacle, the presence chamber of God among his people. I mean, just so many features of his life, every one of them. I think the author of Hebrews wants us to see, was actually a pointer to Christ. So if you think Moses was something, and they did, then your jaw should drop when yeah. you see that you know the the real Solomon, uh the the Queen of Sheba before Solomon was breathless, the, the true and greater, yeah. the, the wise prophet, the real leader. And just one more thing about Moses, uh, whether this makes it onto the show or not, I can't help but say there's good reason that Moses and Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's The law and the prophets coming to look at the unveiled glory of Christ, which is what their whole ministry was about. That's why they're invited, so that we can kind of put two and two together and say, oh, they were talking about him. And then Luke 9 says that Moses talked to Jesus at the Transfiguration about the Exodus that Jesus would accomplish at Jerusalem so Moses is mm. telling Jesus you're the real Moses you're the real leader <laughs> of the Exodus and you're gonna do it where at Jerusalem okay mm. through his blood he's gonna set the captives free and I think that's why that there's such a big emphasis on Jesus being better than Moses in the book of Hebrews Jesus being better than the angels in the book of Hebrews
0: yeah and and would it also be Moses is sort of the persona of the law and is there would you would you agree to that that there's he's he's kind of commenting on Moses the person but he's also saying in saying that he's saying Jesus is better than the law
1: absolutely the personification of the law through Moses I think is absolutely a key point of Hebrews it's not just a subtle point so chapter three talks about how Moses was a servant he was faithful in all his house but Jesus 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 he's a son not in but over God's house. Hmm. And oh, by the way, that's you. Whose house you are, is the way Hebrews 3 puts it. So that chapter even begins with, you know, we're fam- I'm more familiar. I think our people are more familiar with fix your eyes on Jesus from chapter 12, and rightfully so. Right. But chapter 3 says the same thing. Therefore, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession. Mm. And then it goes on to talk about the comparison between Moses, representing the law, and Christ, the Redeemer, who's the king of the whole kingdom, to whom Moses pointed. That That is a massive feature. It, a lot of people have asked me through the years because, well, I say a lot. Those who know I have spent some time in Hebrews, it's common for people to ask me, what's your favorite commentary? And I say, Leviticus. Like, if you don't know if you don't know what moses wrote you're going to have a hard time understanding <laughs> hebrews because it's just drenched i mean leviticus is such a bloody book and if you make your way through hebrews 8 9 10 you're going to see a whole lot of blood and that's the point hmm. so yes the personification of the law in moses is a very big deal in hebrews because everything Moses was pointing to, reminder, Jesus said, Moses wrote about me. That's what Jesus said.
2: Yeah. So right.
1: as we see that in Hebrews, it becomes kind of hyper color. Okay, this is what Jesus meant when he said that.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's What are the other, you mentioned maybe somewhere between five and nine, uh, better than? You know, we talked about Moses. We talked about uh, the covenants. What are some of the other
1: ones? Well, he's better than the whole priesthood. He's better than Aaron. Okay. And he's better than the entire yeah. priesthood. The, the, the big point of the book of Hebrews that we haven't said so explicitly yet is Jesus is the great high priest. He's the true and greater. He's the superior high priest. But, As astonishing as that is, he's a priest over God's house. He's a priest forever like Melchizedek. No father, no mother, no genealogy, no beginning, no end. He can save you forever because he forever lives to make intercession for you. That's a priestly kind of thing. All the other priests kept dying. So we had to get more of them. But Jesus, he's forever. So he's a priest forever. Just that perpetual Melchizedek-like priesthood. But here's the astonishing thing. Not only is he... Better than Aaron and the entire Levitical priesthood. He's also the sacrifice. He's the better sacrifice. And chapter 9 and 10 really labor that point that he gave, and again, this is predicated on Psalm 40 in the Old Testament, he gave his body as the fulfillment of God's will sacrifice and offering do not take away sin. It's impossible for the book. blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because I don't know about you, but I'm uh, tied for first with the worst sinners I've ever known. And if blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin, we're in in a terrible heap of trouble. Well, he sanctified forever with his own blood those who draw near to God through him. He's the better sacrifice. So better priest, better sacrifice, he, you know, the, the book begins with, he's the definitive revelation of God. He's the better revelation. God spoke to our fathers and the prophets, many portions, many ways. In these last days, he he outdid himself. He gave <laughs> the quintessential, perfect, can't get any better revelation of himself, namely the exact image of the invisible God. He gave you yeah. his son. So the better, better, better—you you almost can't get away from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I would probably link that with—it's not only better, but then it's you know, purification for sins and the things you're talking about. But it's once for all, which I think mm. Hebrews repeats at least three or four times. It's yeah. purification once for all. He sat down once for all that, and that that fact that it's you know it's that it gives. It kind of pa- unpacks a little bit of when Jesus on the cross says it is finished. You know, it's like, well, what's finished? It's like the, the put the putting away of sins. That that's finished. You know, he did it. It's not. It's not going to. He's not coming back and trying to redo it because it wasn't working the first time. Which, which, uh, yeah.
1: Can I say one thing about the set down? Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it, again, this is the captain obvious, right? The book begins by. When he made purification of sins, he sat down. It doesn't say next to God. It could have said that. But next to the right hand of the majesty in the heavens, the majesty on high. It's this regal, kingly, enthroned picture. Mm-hmm. He's, he's co-equal to the heavenly king. But the emphasis, like you said, on set down. Well, I know you know this, and we, we may now start provoking each other to start preaching sermons. But what <laughs> no priest. What did no priest in the Old Covenant do? They never sat down. Why did they never sit down? Because their work was never finished. When we Mm. were told that Jesus sat down in the Holy of Holies, it's an expose on the adequacy of Christ as Redeemer. And if you, like me, often need help applying these grand soteriological doctrine of salvation truths, and I need a lot of help because I can get some of the. Phraseology in my mind, but how does this has this hit me? Yeah. Well, if he's set down in the presence of God and he's your mediator, then you are as accepted and as approved as the man at God's right hand. The work is done. He's the definition of how welcome you are in God's presence. So, what is the application of Hebrews? Draw near with confidence. Not one priest in the Old Testament ever said to anybody in Israel, hey, why don't you guys come in the Holy of Holies and check it out? It's amazing. (laughs) That that would have been stupid, right? right? Because they would have been incinerated for coming in like Nadab and Abihu. But Jesus says, now how great is he? He's so great that when he goes in, he sits down, work is finished. And then he says to all his kids, you guys come on in. And oh, by the way, don't ever leave. Just welcome into Mm. the presence chamber, the Holy of Holies. So just in that little picture of he sat down. There's so much for our own edification and growth and grace and confidence in the gospel, prayer life. And we could go on and on.
0: I'm glad you said that. That's that. Uh, you, you know, just to take a little phrase like that, he sat down, and to so unpack it, you know, through through the, you know, this, this is an inspired word of God. It's both the, the Holy Spirit inspired the writers, but it, it inspires us as we read it as well. You, you kind of have to. I would say to our listeners, as you're hearing this today, you know, he, even though I thought how wonderful is you read Hebrews, you know, all chapters in the morning and then at night again, which is a good way to do it. But but the, 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 there's the other part of it is where you have to take, like you did in your teaching, you took took little mm-hmm. portions of it, and what, you know, because it's so easy in Hebrews to say I'm not sure that makes sense. Let me just skip over that. Uh, this one that's a little hard to understand. Let me pass with that. But you really have to kind of it, it's not a book to just, you know, scroll over a little bit. Uh, it's it's more of the, the the bee digging into the honey than than it is to the butter butterfly just just passing around and then that. But and that's that's where you'll get that kind of stuff that you get when 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 you see that to see that. And uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I was gonna say this earlier too. I think you're the first person that I've ever heard uh, speak of Levit- Leviticus being the best commentary. But it's pretty sharp. Uh, that that uh, that is an unusual. Uh, unusual. You know, usually, people recommend uh, you know John Owen or something like that. You know, and and his commentaries on
2: yeah. on he's his, great.
0: Yeah, he's
1: great. Yeah, but, but if if Owen didn't understand Leviticus, Owen yeah. wouldn't be very helpful yeah. either. But, yeah,
0: that's good.
2: Yeah,
0: um, and uh, the the um, when when I when I look at Jesus being better than Moses, my mind goes, he's okay. He's better than the law.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, and this is maybe a departure from Hebrews a little bit, but I, I need some help with this. OK, the Jesus as the high priest, um, it, it was not just his sacrifice. It was the sacrifice because he perfectly obeyed the law, even though he's better than the law. He and, and I, I sometimes get a little confused over, you know, there's so much dismissing of the law. like, And, and I understand that because I'm a grace guy. And there's this grace law division almost, but then I more recently I've been seeing. Wait a minute, Christ, you know, came to fulfill the law, and what's the scripture? I'm not going to be able to remember it well. Um, for us, we you know we don't put away the law, but we um, I can't think of the word, but you know, basically we're Christ enables us to 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 do what he did, like to 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 obey him because of what he's done for us. So. Uh, Uh, Do you think I'm somewhat accurate by saying there's more to Christ living this perfect holy life than sometimes we understand? You know, it seems like we understand like he did miracles and he was a great teacher and then he died for our sins. But uh, you don't really seem to hear a whole lot about Christ living perfectly obeying the law so that he became the perfect sacrificial lamb. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And not and then not so that we don't have to obey God now because we're covered. Um, but, but that it, there's an enablement, uh, not to fulfill the law to earn favor, but to, because we have favor to live in the law. Can you take a few minutes and unpack that a little bit?
1: Joyfully, brother. I pray that it'll make, okay. make some kind of sense because this is so integral to biblical revelation in the Christian life. Okay. So there's two aspects that the old uh, theologians have helped us to think about for Christ's obedience, his active and his passive obedience. And that's what you're talking about, his passive obedience, a passive verb is the action happens to the subject, right? So Christ's passive obedience was, as you're describing, he allowed himself to suffer and die. He was in total control. We know that from things like when they arrested him, John 18. Minimum 600 soldiers fell to their back. Then when they got up, he began giving orders who got to go, who got to stay. You know, he's in total control. So he allowed them to crucify him. Mm. He says in John 10, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. So his passive obedience is what we rightly focus on a lot. His death yeah. for our sins, First Corinthians 15. His burial and his resurrection from the dead. Paul says that's the gospel. That's the good news.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, that's Christ's passive obedience. But I'll ask. I'll try to ask your question. If I'm following, a, mm-hmm. a little more provocatively. Cool. All right. Let's let's ask. Would Jesus have been an adequate redeemer if he died at twelve years old when he was being, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of Q and A with the Pharisees in the temple? Uh, would would he have been an adequate redeemer? I, I know it's a clunky and kind of prickly way to put it, but I would say <laughs> it couldn't have happened. And the answer would be no, if wow. it could have. Similarly, let's say, you know, the three or four times in the gospels where they tried to kill Jesus, they let him to the brow of the hill and they were going to throw him off or, you know, different people plotted to kill him at different times. and. Let's say they would have been successful. Well, Jesus prayed the night before he actually died. That none of the 12 perished, except the son of perdition, Judas, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So if that didn't happen, then there would be something undone Hmm. in his active obedience. So I'm trying to labor is the reason his passive obedience is adequate for our redemption. Is because he brought to the cross a life of full righteousness. He brought this life of active obedience, perfectly loving the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Perfectly loving his neighbors as himself, The two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law. He he fulfilled it perfectly. Now, to your question, how does this relate to us? Right. So, do we need to now, you know, basically? be Jesus. And a phrase I don't like a lot, I'm not going to be crotchety about it so much that I will, uh, you know, rebuke people, but do we now need to live out the gospel? I don't think we can do that. There's only one mm-hmm. Messiah and, and good news, good news, Gary, it's not you. <laughs> uh, right. there's, there's only Amen. one. and
2: um, So
1: how does his active and passive obedience now relate to us? The fact that he lived this life for per- perfect righteousness, and then he died in our stead as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe the answer, among other things, is what we're told in places like 1 John chapter 3. Sin is, would you like to know God's fill in the blank? Lawlessness. Sin is a total disregard for God's law. Not obeying his law. That's sin. So we don't work for our redemption, but we do work from it. That's what the book of James is all about, right? Faith without works is totally dead. So it's not an effort to win God's favor. You don't get two points with Jesus for having a good quiet time every day. (laughs) One of the most astonishing things that's ever entered my mind and heart about the wonder of the gospel is the twin truth that there's nothing I can do to make God like me more. And astonishingly, there's nothing I can do to make him like me less. My my favor in God's sight is 100% owing to who Jesus is and what he accomplished. As the object of my faith, he's the definition of my righteousness. To a regenerate heart, this kind of comes full circle to your question, a, a redeemed sinner hears that. You can't do anything to make God like you more. And it actually put, puts wings on your back. You're free. You're free to obey, not to earn his favor, but because you have it. An unregenerate person hears that and says, hey, I'll just live however I want to. And I'll see you you know, in heaven when I die. You go mm-hmm. do your own thing. Sure. But yeah. how do you know when the Holy Spirit is Lord? I believe Jesus is the perfectly spirit-filled man. Yes, truly divine. But I don't think he punted to his deity. When he was tempted. Oh, I'm God, so it doesn't really affect me. No, he was tempted <laughs> more sense, severely yeah. than you. He was tempted
2: yeah.
1: deeper than you. he he's been tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. He didn't punt to his deity to overcome sin and temptation. Rather, as the perfectly Spirit-filled man, he
2: depended
1: desperately on the power of God to obey. And That's what it looks like for us. How do you know if the Spirit's the Lord of your life? Where the Spirit is Lord, 2 Corinthians 3, there's freedom. There's liberty. Liberty for what? The next verse. To behold as in a mirror the glory of Christ. So we run this race, Hebrews 12, not with our feet, but with our eyes. You put Mm -hmm. your eyes on Jesus. And as you look Mm -hmm. at the one who did obey, Guess what happens? The same spirit that empowered him also enables us to obey as well. So we keep yeah. the law of love from a heart of love, not in order to earn God's love, but because we are loved. And yeah. that's a deep fountain. You know, law gospel debates have been going for about, you know, uh-huh. 2000 years minimum. So I don't, I don't know that we're going to solve uh-huh. it. But uh, no. yeah, I, I want to obey Jesus because he loves me
0: yeah yeah that speaks to it well just uh you know it's it's in a season of my life where i came into a deeper understanding of grace i almost wanted to jettison the law and Mm. now i'm seeing it as you know the law is good Uh, but it's such a dangerous phrase even though it's scriptural because in some people's minds a a carnal mind sees the law as good okay well that means i'm going to start preaching the law i'm going to start preaching it in the sense of you know this your obedience to these regulations will earn you the favor of you know being liked by God, and that, uh, that that'll mess with your mind and your and your heart and your behavior too. Yeah.
1: Well, the rest of the phrase is so vital because I'd heard that phrase actually wielded.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think in an in an unfaithful way, or at least I received it in what proved to be unfaithful prior to conversion, and sometimes after. The law is good if. If, if one uses it lawfully, mm. that's when it's good. It's actually not good if you use it pharisaically. yeah it's not good if you use it satanically, he knows the law better than you and me put together. <laughs> but that's not good. What is good? When Galatians 3 happens, it's a schoolmaster that it's a tutor, it's a handmaid, it's a midwife that leads you to Christ. then the law is fantastic.
0: No, that that is good. That's so rich. Uh, skipping ahead here a little bit in the few minutes we have left uh, is: Are there? Any, you obviously have dug deep into the Book of Hebrews. Are there any other books that you would say in your own life have you've done the same thing with?
1: Yes, <laughs> it would be the short answer. Yes,
0: and what and what, and uh, or uh, one currently? Is there one you're... you're reading uh, every morning and night now and going to teach through for your church or are you in the middle of something right now?
1: We are. um, That's kind of our normal pattern. We just go through books of the Bible, start at the beginning, go to the end. And uh, right now we're in the book of Joshua. We just finished the Gospel of John. We've done, you know, a a number of other books the same way. And, but I'm currently being pummeled by the book of Proverbs. Mm. And my practice is to try to listen to the whole book in one sitting on repeat. And I'm taking my teenage sons through Proverbs. Um, and we're doing a chapter at a time, which they will have gone through it. However, many times we go through it together will be that many times more than I went through it as a teenager. <laughs> and yeah. I wish, yeah. I really wish yeah. I would have had Proverbs. But yes. Yeah. Um,
0: is, it, is it, is it, is it doing, is it doing the, Can a book like Proverbs or Psalms do the same thing for our heart that Hebrews does?
1: Yes. And here's how. The day Jesus got up from the dead, which I believe is the most significant event in human history, the cross, no disrespect, would be of no value, Paul said, if Jesus remained dead. If. Jesus is not raised. We're still in our sins. Our faith is worthless. We're of all men must be pity. That's what Paul said. So it's the resurrection. It's the climactic event. I would say it's the most cataclysmic event possible in human history. So when he got up from the dead, what did he do? The first thing Jesus did, two men on the road to Emmaus, 11 disciples locked in a scared and locked in a room. What did he do? He opened his Bible, and this is what he said: "O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken! Was it not necessary for the Christ, that's a person, to suffer these things and to enter his glory, that's death, burial, resurrection? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures." That's the two on the road to Emmaus. Then later the same day, gets up from the dead hands his 11 followers a Bible and says, the Law of Moses, the Prophets and the Psalms are about me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So I would say to your question, though, I haven't seen his glory as I desire. In every book of scripture, I'm confident that Jesus believes that it's all about him. So the more I spend time there, I trust the more he'll show me. And I'm just trying, you know, at a snail's pace, to continue to see the vistas of the glory of Christ from every page and every paragraph and every passage of the Bible, because I believe that's what Jesus said it's all about.
0: Yeah, and I think you get to a point where that's the only thing that excites you anymore. You know, to to get a proverb that helps me with my morals is really not my, I mean, I wanna keep my morals strong, but that's really not my heart's desire. It's not what floats my boat. Uh, but when i read uh, i'm doing psalms right now i'm on t- t- uh, chapter 25 25 and and re- reading it now and studying it now much more through the lens of you know the exaltation of christ in in the book of psalms and man you you, you see it so different than than like you know i want to be like david i want to kill the giants in my life you know uh you know th- instead of it's like that that's christ uh you know it's yeah. it's uh you yeah, like like even uh i think it's 20, 20 24 you know where it says, "Who can ascend to the hill?" You know, years ago I would, I would have read that. Yeah, I'm going to ascend to the hill, and I'm I'm going to enter the holy. And now I'm seeing like, no, I can't do that. It's only Christ. That that's that's speaking, Amen. Christ. It's it's not my aspirations. It's Christ did this, and now I can, uh, little brother, enter into the fullness that he he, he gives me. So, hey, I want to ask you. Amen. I want to also ask you about. Uh, so, can you just give it two or three like practical takeaways from the book of hebrews okay having heard of jesus better mm-hmm. than having heard the exaltation of christ what are two or three things in my practice in my life you know how preachers we try to end with something pra- practical for people do you want to go there yeah, or I, I almost hate to end there cuz i almost hate to end there cuz what you've been talking about so for me when i hear preaching like that exalts christ i honestly i'm not trying to be boastful here but i don't kind of need the practical so much it's like i'll i'll get there you know, just, just tell me about Jesus. But anyway, to help yeah. people that are, are still growing in their faith, um, what, are, what would be some of the practical elements you would put out to your church or to us?
1: Yeah, well, you know, somebody helped me years ago by saying, look, is an application. You know, so fix your eyes on Jesus. That actually is one of the applications, and it's the main one of the book. But like every book of the New Testament, all the epistles, you know, have the kind of doctrine and practice. Mm-hmm. The way they're set up, and there's a like a therefore that turns it. Well, Hebrews is the same way. So it's got dense Christology for 10 and a half chapters, 1 1 to ten eighteen. Then there's a break, and it goes into the practical ten nineteen to the following. So I'll just give you a smattering of yeah. a few of the applications yeah. that are right there yes, in the please. book. You can go find them. Number one embed your life in a Christ exalting local church. That book was not written to you or to me. It was written to a congregation. And I take that to mean, just like Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians and Corinthians and Romans and every other book that was written to a whole church, I cannot enjoy any of the blessings that are contained in those books unless I also am embedded in a church like that. So that's number one application. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then some very practical things. Like if I asked you, I know your answer to this. Do you want God to be pleased with your life? You would say yes. Well, there's actually a verse in chapter 13 that says, with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What sacrifice? How can I please him? Do you mean to tell me that Gary Wilkerson can rouse the heart of God Almighty to pleasure? Yes. How? Hmm. Hmm. Two things it says in that verse. They're so simple. Do not cease to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Just like... Hmm. Not, it's not just being nice, but being gracious to your fellow believers and giving them what God has entrusted to you when you know good and well they need it and you don't. He did that so that more people give him glory. He could have just zapped them with a lightning bolt of blessing, but he gives it to you so that you can be involved in his good work. That'll please God. A- another one, pretty controversial in our day. God didn't stutter when he said, in the context of a local church, Be a joy for your pastors to shepherd. Mm. Your pastors should derive more joy in Christ because they get the privilege to be your pastor. Mm. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. There's so many applications. One is marriage. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sexual infidelity is rampant today. Pornography and all kind of illicit behavior. How do we overcome? Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. Right after that, it goes on to say, Jesus is the Mm same yesterday, today, forever. So fix your eyes on Christ and that'll that'll help your marital fidelity or, you know, don't covet money because you have the God of the universe. There's so many practical applications that just flow from chapter 10, 11, 12, 13. Uh, I would almost say close your eyes, point to a verse and do what that one says and there'll be plenty of application you know in your life of what it means to look to Jesus.
0: That's so good. I love the you know the the actual elements that we can practice but then it, it is an application to look to Jesus. That's a that's a good truth too that yeah. and you can look to Jesus in and 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 I think that could almost be a uh, like a top topic headline for all these other things, yes. keeping the marriage bed undefiled because, because you're looking unto Jesus, not because you yes. made a, 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 chair, a, you know, a pledge to be pure. It's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's coming from that focus of, uh, it's, it's not just morality, yeah. but it's uh, very practical as well, it's good.
1: Say it the other way, if you're successful in keeping all the pra- practical applications of Hebrews without looking to Jesus, you're actually unsuccessful in keeping them that's right yeah if you do them all squeaky clean but you don't have your eyes on christ you've missed the whole point yeah he's the reason he's the power he's the motive
0: wow that's that's powerful well i I knew this would be enjoyable Uh, i knew i'd have a a great hour with you and i want to thank you for taking the time to thank you brother be with us i'm glad i I, am glad i get to share the things that lord has put on your heart with some of my friends who listen to us so so thank you pastor jordan really appreciate you
1: Thanks so much, Gary. It's been a joy.
0: I hope you watched not only this whole episode, but the previous one too. This two episodes with Pastor Jordan Thomas, Christ exalting, speaking of the preeminence, the the glory of Christ that we can know. How how wonderful! Like the old hymn says, "How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love." for me and we saw that if you didn't watch the first part of this uh, two-part series go back and check that one out and you'll get the full blessing uh, from from as this discussion went on about the book of Hebrews we delved into some other subjects as well Uh, but but thanks for being again with us here at the end of part two God bless you look forward to joining you again on our next episode
1: Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in the mission of World Challenge. Thank you for listening and supporting. World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Visit us online at worldchallenge.org.